Let's uh, start with a word of prayer. Gracious and loving God, we, we thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to be in your presence. Lord, we thank you for your, your mercies that are new every morning. We thank you, God, for your faithfulness in our lives. And we thank you for the space, Lord, to be able to serve you, to be served, to love, and to be loved. Now, God, we pray your blessings upon this proclamation. We pray, Holy Spirit, that um, your word would go forth. And we know that uh, when your word goes forth, it does not come back void. And so we thank you, God, in advance for the impact and the transformation of the good news in the lives of your people. We ask this in Christ's name, and we thank you for hearing our prayer. Amen. So from Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 15, this is the word of the Lord. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Permenus, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented them to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands upon them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Sicilia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spake. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the whole people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen. They saw that his face was like the face of an angel. This is the word of the Lord. We are thankful for it. My theme is 
the Blazing Center qualifies. Among so many things we know about the Holy Spirit, we know from Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 15 that the Holy Spirit qualifies us for service. The church in Jerusalem was still in its infancy, but it was growing and it was adding disciples daily. The power of the movement was threatened by a conflict that arose between the Hellenistic and the Hebraic Jews over the daily distribution of food. The Hellenists, or Jews who spoke Greek and who had been adopted into Greek culture or had adopted elements of the Greek culture, felt as if their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food as compared to the Hebrews, those who spoke Aramaic and who had not adopted elements of the Greek culture. This wasn't a resource problem for the early church because the believers had decided to pool their resources so that according to Acts chapter 4 verse 34, there were no needy persons among them. They likely had enough food. But the conflict was around how resources were being allocated. They were in the middle of a problem based on a lack of equity. Equity is an approach that ensures everyone has equal opportunities by allocating resources based on the degree of access. People with greater wealth, education, status, and power have easier access to social and societal rewards. But those who have less access, or in some cases, no access, have a difficult or more difficult time. This is a reality that Jews were familiar with. The Torah commands that accommodations be made for widows and other vulnerable people in society. Landowners were instructed to leave the edges of their fields unplowed so that poor people could have enough food to survive. We see this in Leviticus chapter 19. Several Old Testament prophets, including Isaiah and Jeremiah and Malachi, lifted concern for the poor and decried the marginalization of widows and orphans. Their growing community was also experiencing challenges related to cultural differences. They were all Jewish disciples and lovers of Jesus. They also had in common the fact that they had pooled their resources. They were doing life together in community, but they were not all the same. They were experiencing challenges related to differences that actually made a difference. There's a ton of things that excite me about this early community of faith. They were wrestling with what it means to take care of the most vulnerable in their midst. The church today must also wrestle with this. Who are the most vulnerable among us? And how are we responding to them? Like the early church, 
Our prayers and responses should be led by the Holy Spirit, the blazing center of our mission. I'm also excited about the fact that when they were faced with cultural conflict, they didn't ignore it. They didn't bury their heads in the sand or they didn't even demonize those who expressed a concern. As people of faith, we've got to learn to listen for helpful insights that are sometimes hidden in a critique. My mother used to say that when I was young, she would say, in your life, you've got to learn to eat the fruit and spit out the seeds. I'm still learning how to eat the fruit and spit out the seeds. I'm also excited about the fact that the apostles proposed a plan of action that included the whole community. Let's be honest. It's difficult to make big decisions with a whole bunch of people. But the disciples in our text was the whole community. Now what likely happened is that the apostles conferred amongst themselves and because they too were full of the Holy Spirit and had been handpicked by Jesus, save one, Matthias, who was picked after Judas took his own life, their solution included allowing the community to pick for itself its own leaders, who as it turned out were men who all had Greek names. We could learn a lot from this early church. No one likes it when someone makes a decision that impacts them without their involvement. Our ministry solutions should be grounded and informed by the communities that will be impacted by those decisions. Anything less is ministry malpractice. We see that the apostles as positional leaders were qualified by the Holy Spirit. But the larger community of disciples were also qualified by the Holy Spirit to contribute to a solution that was designed not only to bring equity to this community, and equity is my word, but shalom. Shalom is a peace that comes from everything being complete and whole. The purpose of justice in Hebrew society was to restore and sustain shalom. The shalom of this community had been broken, but the community came up with a plan and a decision to restore it. Shalom should be our word too. We must seek ways to restore and sustain shalom in our communities. The proposal from the apostles or the 12 to pick seven men please the whole group. But we don't have to pick seven men. We recognize that their society was a patriarchal one where women often had very different experiences than men. It was just the way it was. Unfortunately, our society still suffers in some respects from disparate treatment of women as compared to men. 
We got to do better. And one way we can do better is by making sure that we don't just select men to serve in leadership. If our leadership teams include women, when opportunities arise for service, women will also be chosen. Moreover, the Evangelical Covenant Church is a church committed to the multi-ethnic mosaic and as such should reflect in all of its decision-making and leadership the same kind of diversity we see reflected in Revelations 7 and 9. Getting the right people on our team is a critical step for effective leadership. The vision was cast by the apostles and enthusiastically endorsed by the people, but it would not work without picking the right people to fill the job. The job description that the apostles designed was not like any I have ever seen, even for ministry positions that I've applied for. They listed three requirements for this important function. They should be men of good report. They should be full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. It's important for us to pick good people. Pick good people with a good report. These men would be handling large sums of money, taking care of vulnerable people in addition to everyone else. So our reputations, our integrity, who we are as people really matters, and it really matters to the communities that we seek to serve. Integrity matters as a foundation for godly service. I think we're also called to pick people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. You might say, how do we measure this? The scriptures say that we are known by the fruit that we bear. We should examine the fruit. I would offer up some obvious choices, Galatians 5, 16 through 25, where we hear about the fruit of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter are great choices, but I would also offer up Acts chapter 1, verse 8 where we see that the Holy Spirit equips us with dunamis, dynamite power to be witnesses, to evangelize, to tell the good news. People who are filled with the Spirit are able to tell the good news. People who are filled with the Spirit are willing to share their story of transformation. And then the third thing we see is wisdom. We want to pick people who are filled with wisdom. Wisdom is the quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment. Wisdom is born over time, though, through good seasons and bad, through ups and downs. And in the biblical sense, wisdom is born of a reliance on God. We see in Psalm 111 and 10, where it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's ironic to me that there was no mention of any customer service skills that these men needed, no experience in food service or even purchasing. It seems that the skills specific to the task are those that they would learn on the job, but they were qualified because the Holy Spirit made them qualified. Their integrity, their spirit-filled lives, 
and their wise leadership made them perfect for the job. At the church I grew up in on the north side of Chicago, there was a missionary by the name of Missionary Francis Boyd. And Francis Boyd wasn't a missionary in the same sense that us covenanters understand missionaries. She didn't spend any time in a foreign country or work with indigenous people. But she did find herself in mission churches, struggling churches, or you might even say church plants in communities all over Chicagoland. And they were often led by women. And she became a very effective and powerful preacher, but the Lord also used her in mighty ways as she was led by the Holy Spirit. As the story goes, an aspiring young missionary asked Missionary Bynum how she became so anointed. In other words, how did you become so filled by the Spirit of God as evidenced by your service? As the story goes, Francis turned to the young woman and said, my anointing came from working in the kitchen and serving the saints meals. Hmm. Sometimes the most thankless jobs in ministry are places and spaces where God breaks you, where he molds you, where he shapes you and forms you into the person and leader he wants you to be. It is in this holy crucible that we learn to trust God, that we learn to love our neighbors as ourselves, and where we are positioned to serve God in amazing ways. We can't afford to look down on any ministry opportunity that God affords. I remember early in the days of planning Grace Outreach Covenant Church, we were doing church in the box where you set up church on Sunday um, from a trailer, set up everything and have service and break down everything. And from time to time, we were short on volunteers. And so I had to pitch in and I can remember some of those Sundays where I would be frustrated thinking to myself, I shouldn't be doing this. I would much rather be going over my notes or praying. And then I can remember one faithful Sunday when the Holy Spirit was speaking to my heart. And the word that I heard was, just praise me. And maybe I had heard that time before, but this time I listened. And so instead of fussing and complaining, I started to listen to gospel music. I had my headset and I started to listen to gospel music each Sunday when I had to help. And I began to have a most glorious time with the Father. Didn't matter who was there or who wasn't. By the time preaching came along, I was ready because I had been in deep and abiding communion with God. I learned the importance of doing everything unto the Lord and not unto man. It's important that we walk with integrity, stay in communion with God, and adopt a practice of living the fruit of the Spirit, and of course ask God for wisdom. It's safe to assume that all the men 
selected had all the basic qualifications. But Stephen, who would later go on to be martyred, was also full of faith. You might say he was overqualified. We know that faith comes by hearing. And if Stephen's sermon, the last sermon that he preached, by the way, is any, any indication, it's clear that Stephen was a person of the word. He knew the word of God. These men could all do the job as described, but clearly the Holy Spirit who does the qualifying was preparing them and opening doors for them to do even greater things for the kingdom. What is God preparing you for? Your big break may begin with a small opening. Make the most of it. It's not clear how or when it happened. But God began to open doors for Stephen under the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that he performed great wonders and signs among the people. And when persecution came to the church, he preached a sermon of his life and the last one of his life. But at his stoning, there was a young man named Saul who was present. And we know God went on to use Saul who became Paul in a mighty way because God had a plan for him too. Philip, who was also numbered among the seven, would go on to proclaim Jesus in the city of Samaria. He cast out unclean spirits and he healed many people. It was this Philip who led the Ethiopian eunuch to Christ. And some theologians argue that it was the Ethiopian that helped to bring the gospel to Africa. It's important as I close that we leverage all that we can in this life to bolster our education, our skills, our experience, our networking, but never forget, never ever forget that it's the Holy Spirit, the blazing center of our mission that qualifies. Who knows? God may be setting you up in a kitchen or in some volunteer ministry where it seems like no one is paying attention to do great and extraordinary things for the kingdom. God bless you and thanks for listening.